Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in. Turn me to um, John chapter 20, and we're going to read verses 24 through 29. We are in the last message, last installment of our Stockholm series. Amen? Have you enjoyed this series? <laughs> should go back and listen to them. Uh, uh, I, I was thinking the other day, man, you know, if it was old school, I would package this real nice on a DVD set and come on. For $9.99, grab this. But, you know, we, do, we don't do it like that no more. It's all free on YouTube. Come on. But I will ask you for a subscribe. Amen. Hallelujah. So uh, thank you for that. I'm, uh, I'm excited for it, guys. Doing. You can download our app, and we got some cool things on the way, but we, we are in the last installment of Stockholm, and y'all know what we've been talking about all month. We've been talking about really like being this, this idea of being in love and fascinated with our captor and his cause. The Bible has over and over defined that the accuser of the brother is not the devil, it's the law. Mm. Amen. I will, I'm just going to lay this out here, but I'll unpack this more, but I'm going to say it because it's really going to mess with some of y'all. Actually, one of the scriptures alludes to that the accuser of the brethren was Saul before he became Paul. We done called him the devil. And it was really Saul. But he had a revelation. Come on, somebody. Got that revelation of grace and mercy and kindness and unconditional love. And he went from being an accuser to a a person that was compelling people to come to Christ. Amen. But sometimes we, we can fall in love with the accuser. We start to have sympathy towards the accuser, and we live our life, come on, trying to please the accuser versus our Savior. Amen? Somebody say, just live your life. Oh, oh, oh. no, okay. No, you called that, right? (laughs) John chapter 20, verse 24 to 29 says this, and this is a very familiar passage of scripture. I'm going to unpack this a little bit, but I think it's going to be good for us this morning, amen, as we land this Stockholm plane. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. Unless I see his hands, unless I see in his hands the print of nails and put my finger on the print of nails nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of nails, of the nails, and put my finger in the print of the nails. And put my hand into his side. I will not, what? 
After eight days, hmm, so fun. You know those, those numbers in the Bible? After eight days of unbelieving, come on, somebody. The disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. Actually, one translation says it like this, Jesus came through a locked door. He passed through a door that was locked. Oh, my word. Okay, that'll preach in the second. I ain't going to go there today. We ain't preaching about that. Sometimes, no matter how guarded you are, I love that Jesus is still strong enough to get through your guards. Amen? No matter how many locked doors we got, the Savior can't be kept out by some locked doors. Come on, somebody. If he wants you, he going to get you, neighbor. After eight days they were inside, Jesus, uh, the door has been shut, stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Why? Because they were scared. How you get through that door? We locked that door? Then he said to some, Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be what? Unbel- Do not be what? But believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. I read that. I said, man, that's where we get that from. My Lord and my God. Woo. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. My Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to say through me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm on a message, on a mission to preach a message that I have titled, Scar session. Scar session. <clears throat> Amen. Most people remember Thomas as a doubter. Most people remember Thomas as a doubter. But Thomas was not a doubter. Amen. I know we've been taught that, and we, it's, it's the lingo of the church, Doubting Thomas. The man got a whole title. Amen? Let me give him a whole ministry of doubt. <laughs> Doubting Thomas. Somebody said Doubting Thomas. Thomas was not a doubter. Actually, according to the Strong's concordance, doubt means to waver, hesitate, or be uncertain. Man, doubt is not rejection of belief, but doubt is holding a belief with hesitation and uncertainty. I'm going to say that again. Thomas was not a doubter. The definition of doubt is waver, hesitate, or be uncertain. Are y'all catching where I'm heading? Doubt is not rejection of belief, but doubt is holding a belief with hesitation and uncertainty. Amen. Doubt involves being, believing something with questions. Doubt involves believing something with questions about whether it's true or not. 
So when we begin to think about it this way, it becomes clear that Thomas was not a doubter. Amen? Thomas didn't doubt the resurrection of Jesus. He fully rejected it. Thomas fully rejected the resurrection of Jesus until he could have physical proof. What did Thomas say? Until I put my hands in his nails, until I put my hand inside, I will not. He didn't say, oh, God, I don't know about it. I mean, he, he raised, but... I'm still wondering. He said, until I put my hands on it, I ain't believing. John 20, 24 describes an appearance of Jesus to the apostles except Thomas. Right? When he comes in, the passage is clear that Thomas was not with them the first time and that Thomas refused to believe what they told him. He rejected it. He claimed that he would never believe it without physically touching the risen Jesus. Amen? Therefore, the, uh, uh, the, adjective, the adjective, doubting, fails to truly encapsulate the description of Thomas's unbelief. Most accurate title would be this, disbelieving Thomas. Not doubting Thomas, disbelieving Thomas. But of course, that would shake the very foundation of many believers today. Because we couldn't begin to imagine that someone who walked so closely with Jesus would carry an ounce of disbelief. Amen. Why is this important? Somebody say why. Two reasons. First reason is this. Calling Thomas a doubter implies that doubt is the opposite of faith. It's real quiet in the church. Maybe it's not this quiet online. Calling Thomas a doubter would imply that doubt is the, in fact, the opposite of faith. When the truth is, there are many people who believe amidst their doubts. Myself included. Amen. This is also not the only time that we encounter disbelief in the scripture among those who walk closely with Jesus. Right before Jesus gave the great commission and then ascended to the Father, Matthew reported that the 11 disciples worshiped Jesus, but some doubted. Somebody say doubt. Matthew 28, 16. This is not, that was not the first time we've encountered doubt. They did believe that Jesus had risen from the grave, but they still harbored doubts. Somebody say doubts. The apostles had doubts. What makes you think you won't have doubts? 
they saw Jesus after his resurrection. In his resurrection state, they walked with him, talked with him, did miracles with him, and they still had doubts. So if they had doubts, it, it seems only natural that we too would have doubts. Amen. And I know you can't say amen because you glow in the dark. Come on, and speak in tongues while you sleep. Amen. And your bath is anointing oil. But that ain't my story. Amen. Sometimes I struggle to see the point even though I still have the faith. Maybe you can't say amen because I'm standing on your foot too hard. But as much as we try to put on a show, we can all admit that we struggle a little bit in our faith with doubt. Amen. So it seems natural that many of us too will have doubts. Given that Thomas seems firm in his belief and unbelief, Come on, my suspicion is that Thomas was not one of the apostles who Matthew reports as doubting. So ironically, there may be uh, other greater doubters than Thomas. But we label Thomas doubting Thomas. Maybe we should call it the doubting apostles. That's too much for church. I'm gonna get somebody gonna hit me with a stone, bro. It's gonna happen. Catch me in the street. Second reason this is important. Calling Thomas a doubter implies. Now we finna go to church. Y'all ready? Calling Thomas a doubter implies that certainty is required for belief. Come on, somebody. If we were to refer to uh, Thomas as a doubter when he was not, in fact, a believer, then aren't we implying that people with doubts don't genuinely believe either? If I can rightly call Thomas a doubter when Thomas says, I'm not believing until I see and touch Because I need this evidence so I can be okay that what y'all said is true. Come on, somebody. If we can say that about Thomas, then we can call others the same thing. When, think, when people think belief requires certainty, doubts and questions can be paralyzing. They can be painful, and sometimes they can even lead to despair. I learned this the hard way when I was in Bible college, going after my master's in theology, and they started introducing these books to essentially talk me out of my faith. 
And there were moments where I was like, I ain't never going to church again. These people are crazy. Who in the world will bleed this mess? And I'm reading these books that's telling me that I'm believing in fairy tales, and they're giving me evidence, and I'm like, what? No, why am I doing this? I'm paying dollars to go to school to learn this mess, and I'm going to teach it to somebody else. The problem was is I needed, I needed certainty for my faith, and so any questions became painful, paralyzing. Started leading to despair. The reality is, unfortunately, this type of paralyzing preaching has been mainstream in the church for far too long. I'm about to really preach up in here. Y'all better get ready. People have been taught that questions are disrespectful and dishonoring to God. People have been taught, only believe what you hear and bury any need or desire to search the heart of God in the scriptures when questions arise. Anybody ever been reprimanded for questioning God? Don't you question God? Well, why would God, don't you question God? His thoughts are higher than I thought. His will is greater than my will. You dare not question the Lord. Many of us use that what they really mean is don't question what I say about God. Mm. Don't question the message that I preach. Because if you question the message I preach, then you're questioning God. And, and really what they're trying to say is I've made myself God. Don't question me. Okay, we're going to get real, real in the church. Amen. So it's important, secondly, because doubt implies that certainty is required to believe God. And we've been taught to bury any need or desire to search the heart of God in, script, in the scripture when questions arise. But fortunately, the Bible does not even teach that certainty is required for faith. Come on, somebody. According to uh, 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 the, the, this encyclopedia of, of, of philosophy, it says belief is when we take something to be the case or regard or uh, to be the case or regarded as true. Listen to this. That's what belief is. It's understood this way. Belief does not require certainty. Somebody say, it does not. Require certainty. In fact, depending on the available evidence, we hold beliefs with various degrees of confidence. Amen? For, for instance, I believe that Aaron loves me, right? And my belief in Aaron loving me is much firmer than my belief that the Gamecocks will win the college football championship. Or, ne- or a game next week. Come on. I'm much more confident in my wife believing, uh, in believing that my wife loves me than my favorite college football team winning a game or a scrimmage or maybe just making it on the bus, you know. <laughs> I'm much more confident in that. Amen? But... I do believe and hope that both are true. Just because I'm not confident that the game costs will win a game, I don't go to the game and go, ah, I will never call you winners until I see you win a bunch of games. 
You know what I do? I show up every Saturday and go, my boy's going to get this one. Hey, come on, son. And they disappoint me every time. But I keep my belief. Come on, somebody. All the Clemson fans know what I'm talking about right now. Because y'all losing too. Amen. Hallelujah. I felt that in my spirit. We on the same wavelength. But every week we show up and say, please win. I believe y'all are winners. We call them winners. Them boys going to play today. You know, you crunk. Look at him. Look, he came up with a game face on. He ready. Whew. Lord, I'm going to help me. I, I, I want to break up with this team. Or we make excuses. We make excuses. Man, the offense was off today. I mean, uh, the defense. They'll be good next week, though. To believe in something doesn't mean it requires certainty on what you believe. Mm. Amen. And when we call Thomas a doubter, it implies that we need certainty to believe what God says. The problem with needing certainty is some scriptures you find and they don't really line up with what you view the world as today. How do you rectify that? Do I believe that God wants slaves? Or do I look at that scripture and say, that's not the heart of God? Y'all see what we're doing here? You can hold as my faith is in the Lord. And some of these scriptures in the Bible don't really communicate who he is. And you can hold your faith with God and have questions about what you read. And the problem is, we've been taught in church to be, our faith in God is based on what we read. But when what we read doesn't line up with what we experience, where do we go? Amen. You don't need certainty to have faith. Amen? Are y'all here? But I'm not here to focus on doubts and disbeliefs today. Come on, somebody. We're not here to focus on that. Yeah, it's easy to talk about Thomas's action and disposition in this passage, but this week I became more and more fascinated and enamored with Jesus' response to Thomas's disbelief. And I believe it's important that we look at the character and nature in Jesus Amongst the presence of disbelief from Thomas and learn from it. Somebody say learn from it. Somebody say learn from it. It's incredibly intricate how Jesus handles Thomas in this. I think it's beautiful. And I became aware of it this week. As I was reading the scripture, one of my first thoughts was this, is that Jesus knew the way to cure the disbelief was to reveal the scars. Somebody say, he cured the disbelief by revealing the scars. 
We've been in this series on Stockholm. We've been talking about being free from our captain and how we are free. And yes, we are all free. Amen? Come on, somebody. Somebody say, I'm free. I'm more than free. I'm free. Come on. Free indeed. No chains are holding me. Come on now. I'm free. But there are other people who are not free. And there are people in, in your life and in my life and, and, and all around our sphere of influence who do not believe. Amen? And can I tell you why a lot of people don't believe? Because in church we put on a facade far too long. We put on this facade of perfection, this facade of I have it together. I will never show you my struggle. I will never show you my downfall. I'm going to smile even though I'm hurting. And I ain't going to never come to church and fall apart. Come on, somebody. And we've done this for year after year and year after year. And we come to church and we, ah, praise the Lord. We put our mask on. Come on. We come to the hospital and act like we're healed. And we don't get the medical attention that we need because we mask the pain with a facade of healing. And we don't show people our scars. Mm. Jesus met Thomas where he was at in his faith journey. Jesus didn't walk in the room and start berating Thomas. He didn't walk in and yell at him. He didn't hide from him. He didn't uh, call him stupid. He didn't label him as a lost cause. Come on, somebody. He didn't even tell the others to remove him from the group. You know how we do in church? He didn't even take him through a master class on how he should have believed and not questioned it. Jesus didn't do any of that. He didn't walk in and say, Thomas, come here, let me talk to you for a minute. So we'll schedule a meeting with you. Uh, let's get some coffee, man. So, man, I noticed, you know, I heard from the disciples that you didn't believe. You know? Can you imagine Jesus sitting there with gloves on? I heard from the disciples. She didn't believe, you know. And, uh, you know I'm going to take my gloves off so you can actually have this. But I want to talk to you before we do that about how you should believe what you hear and not question it. He didn't do that. Jesus walked into the room and he met Thomas at the point of his disbelief. And he gave him the answer he needed. He walked in. Peace be unto you. Thomas, come here. What's crazy about the scriptures is that it even alludes to and shows that Jesus was on a mission specifically for Thomas. So much that he was so on a mission that he went through a locked door. Are y'all catching this? Jesus literally sliding through doors. Why? Because Thomas meant that much to Jesus that I'll do whatever I got. I will go through doors. I will, whatever I need to do. He walks in the room. Everybody's scared. Peace be on y'all. Hush, I ain't here for you. Thomas, come here. Thomas, I love you. Thomas, I care. Thomas, you're loved. You're unconditional love. Thomas, 
I know you struggle with disbelief. Thomas, come here. Touch my hands, bro. Put your hand on my side. He doesn't look at Thomas and go, what is your problem? Have you not walked with me? Have we not done miracles together? Have we not accomplished this? Have you not? Do you not believe what I say when I say? He didn't do any of that. He literally, I mean, even read the scripture, guys. It looks like Jesus is in a hurry to get to Thomas. Peace be unto you. I read it and I thought, man, how beautiful it is that my Savior is, he's in a hurry to get to me. Bro, I'll pass through the highest mountain, whatever it may be. Locked doors, it don't matter. Come on, stormy seas, let's go. I'm coming for you. He met him at the point of his disbelief and provided the answers he needed to believe. And the Lord spoke to me, he said, Fred, I want you and I want prevail and I want everybody to recognize that we must not avoid the questions. Somebody say, don't avoid the questions. Somebody say, don't avoid the questions. But we must learn how to seek to meet people where they are and remove the barriers to their disbelief. Jesus chose in this moment to reveal his scars so that Thomas could be free from his disbelief. Yeah. Okay, so he could have came back with no scars, no residue. But he didn't. He showed the scars. I'll show you my pain. Because my pain alludes to my promise. I'll show you what I've been through. Amen. Because I'm not what I've been through. Amen. This got me thinking about a scripture in Revelation 12, 7 through 12. 12. It says this, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back. But they were no match for Michael. This is the Message Bible. It says, then they were cleared out of heaven. Not a sign of them left. The great dragon, ancient serpent, the one called devil and Satan, the one who led the whole earth astray was thrown out. And all of his angels thrown out with him. Thrown down to earth. And then I heard a strong voice come out of heaven saying, salvation and power are established. Kingdom of our God, authority of his Messiah, the accuser of our brethren and sisters are thrown out. Who accused them day and night before God? They defeated him, listen to this, through the blood of the lamb and the bold word of their testimony. They weren't in love with themselves. They were willing to die for Christ. Revelation here is saying that what he saw was the people overcame by sharing their scars. 
Come on. The word, the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. Listen, listen. Jesus paid it all on the cross. So let me tell you what he paid for. I was not worthy. I was not good. Come on. I was out in these streets. Come on, somebody. But the Lord went to them streets and got me out them. Come on. And I ain't ashamed of who I was. Because I'm grateful that who I was led me to who I am. Jesus revealed his scars to heal the disbelief. Amen. You know, another thought I had about this is that the church has taught us about oppression and possession and ignored suppressing. Churches ignored suppression. Amen. We've been taught to suppress the past that we've been freed from. We've been taught, let the past be the past. We've been taught that if we talk, share too much of our dark history, it will dim our bright future. Come on, somebody. We've been taught, don't talk about it. Don't tell nobody what you used to do. Come on. You can't say that in church. We don't want to hear about that. Why are you reliving that? Why are you bringing up this? Why are you... We've been taught, don't tell nobody what you've been through. Don't tell nobody you did this. That's shameful. How could a believer do this? We've been taught all these things. Don't tell nobody about the joy and the, de- I mean, the depression, the anxiety. Don't say nothing about that. You're a believer. You shouldn't be struggling with those things. Don't tell nobody you're talking to a counselor. Don't tell nobody you're taking meds for whatever it may be. Don't tell nobody that you, you, you're, you're going to see a doctor to buy a medical issue. Won't you just pray and be healed? I'm not taking away from the faith to, come on somebody, to do that. Nobody's saying that God can't just heal you. But can I, can I say this? I say this to people all the time. You know, the same God that can heal you miraculously could be the same God that gave a doctor the knowledge to create a medicine that could heal you over time. You ever thought about that? It's the same God. They didn't get the knowledge on them all, on their own. And the devil showed and gave it to them. No, he don't care nothing about you being healed. Oh, it's good. Quiet in the house of the Lord. The Lord can use an unbeliever to bless you. So, I need to, I need to get your attention, Saul. I'm going to use a donkey. I said donkey because we got kids in the room. Amen. The priest's message one time said, the Lord knocked Saul off his donkey. <laughs> Amen. But we've been taught, we share too much of our dark history. It would dim our bright future. But I want to declare to you today a bonus to announce your freedom. Come on, somebody. I declare to you today that there is now, therefore now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on now. 
I want to declare to you that there's no residue of your former life because you are free in Christ. In Christ, you are free. Somebody say, I'm free. I want you to hear these words. Have no fear to tell the story of how you've overcome. Have no fear to tell people how you've overcome. Come on, somebody. Don't hold that to yourself. Somebody needs to hear how the Lord has brought you out. And no, listen, telling your story don't mean that it's got to be pristine and put together. It might be messy. Because the past is messy. Come on, somebody. But your messiness is somebody's message they need to hear. And we were trying to clean up, y'all. No. Same Thanksgiving dinner. Some friends over the house. You, y'all been here long enough, it ain't clean. If you want water, you go to the fridge. Amen. You've overcome. I declare for you that you have the courage and the strength to stand and declare the goodness of God in your life. You have overcome. I declare for you that you will not walk in shame and guilt. You have overcome. I declare over you that because of Christ, you are free. And Christ says, when I make you free, you're free indeed. And I admonish you to tell the world about it. Somebody say, tell the world about it. Tell the world. I just thought, I'm going to start landing this plane. If I'm unwilling to show my scars, you'll never understand my healing. See, many of us want to cover up the scars. We want to cover them up. I want to see that. But scars are a sign that you have healed. The scab shows that there's a process of healing. If you were still bleeding out, we would know that you are still in danger and not healing. But when I see a scar, I go, there's a story there of someone who made it out of something. We got a, we got four chickens. We got four chickens. They are quite the motley crew. All of them got bad attitudes on certain days. And then all of a sudden they're fine. They want to be near you. All of them, whenever you come out, they're looking for you to have something for them. Based, and then they based on how they're going to treat you based on whether you have something for them or not. Come on, somebody. These chickens are a trip. If I come out there, they got these things called mealworms. 
Some of y'all probably from the country like, oh, but what are you doing? Are you trying to explain something to me? I'm not trying to mansplain, but there's these things called mealworms. It's like dead bugs. It's crazy. Come out there. They have seen now. They know the bag. If I come outside with a bag, they'll run it. Just come on. And they move fast. And they, we love, I mean, chickens, great. Whoever thought I would have chickens, you know? Farmer Fred, like we got them. About uh, two weeks ago, was it now? Two weeks ago? I came home from work. And I was outside about to cook on the grill. My neighbor, his daughter was out there, and she was talking to me over the fence, and we were talking, because we got this this coyote problem behind our house. And um, she was talking to me, and she was telling me they had put out a a, a trail cam and all this stuff, and they were going to try to catch the coyotes and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, you know, we need to get them suckers. You know, I'm ready and uh, as we were talking, I went back in the house and I came back out. She was just sitting there, just looking. And she looks over at me. She says, is all your chickens in your yard? I said, well, I don't know. I think they are. I don't know. Well, let me go check. So I go down the stairs. And we have a chicken. She's gray. Her name is Marley. This is Aaron's chicken, Marley. She's kind of like the, she's, I would call her the mother of the chickens. Like she's. She carries the most weight, you know. She's, she's all the things. Like, she moves slow every now and then. And then every now and then she'll, like, back up. And um, but she was in the, in, the, in the coop. And Zoe's chicken, her name is Piper. She was out walking around all by herself in her own little world. The other two were missing, which is me and Max's chicken. Roxy, who's the, who has the worst attitude. That's my chicken. Roxy, she don't want nobody messing with her. Leave me alone. You know, she'll peck at you. Just, just rough around the edges. Somebody said, I mean, you named her Roxy. I was like, because she was acting like that when she came out the egg. Come on, somebody. I'm just kidding. Uh, and then Knight, she's, she's probably the biggest of the chickens. But Roxy and Knight were missing. My neighbors, she was like, I swear I hear them. And behind our house is this brush, this tall brush, sticky brows, everything. So I swear I hear them back there. So she started getting, like, climbing up on some of the tree limbs and all that stuff. And she saw them. She was like, they are back there. And I had convinced myself that the coyotes had taken them. They were gone. Because what I saw was feathers on the ground, all this kind of stuff. Coyotes, they gone. But we found them. So she's goes back there to get them, and I try to go back there, but I'm a city boy, and so sticky brows were making me cry. And, you know, I'm, yeah, it's terrible. Finally make a way back up. And while we're doing all this, Max goes, what's wrong with Marley? I said, what do you mean what's wrong with Marley? She's fine. And then it hit me, and it hit everybody right there, that all the feathers that were on the ground were from Marley. And then we started checking, we realize that Marley is actually bleeding. Bleeding. And so we start going through this thing, and I'm looking, and I realize what happened is Marley almost got taken by a hawk. 
You can see the talon claws, the print marks in her back. She's missing feathers, and she's bleeding on her back. And I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, oh, my word. This chicken got a story to tell. But, but in that moment, the scar was really bad. And it looked terrible. What blew me away is, Marley, ain't no crying. Ain't no fun. She's still walking around, just eating, hanging out in the coop. She learned her lesson. She's like, I just won't be in the open no more. I'm going to be in the coop. And the hawk that could have taken her, she fought off of it and got away from it. And still here today, even though she got scars. We cleaned up the wound. We poured peroxide on it and all this stuff. The other day I was looking at it and I wanted to see what was going on. And literally, she's already healing. Scars. And feathers starting to grow back. And all this is happening. And I thought, how incredible is that? God designed us in a way that every wound could heal. He designed us in a way that every wound would produce a scar that would tell a story of a healing. Now, if I post a picture of Marley's wound, somebody's going to say, what happened? What happened? Now, I'll tell the story. If I post a picture of Marley down the road, fluffy feathers, and I'd never show her scar, Nobody's going to ask, what happened? Nobody will know that that chicken fought a hawk and got away. I told somebody she's going to go down in history, the greatest chicken alive. In that moment, I looked at her and said, I'll never cook you, girl. I'll never cook you nor shake you. Come on, somebody. (laughs) If you're unwilling to share your scars... People will never understand your healing. Amen? If I'm unwilling to share my scars, you'll never understand my healing. Yes, I was a captive, but Jesus set this captive free. Yes, I was blind, but Jesus gave sight to these blind eyes. Yes, I was depressed. But Jesus gave me joy unspeakable. Yes, I was sick. But Jesus healed this body. Yes, I was anxious. But Jesus gave me peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm going to keep preaching until y'all get it. Come on. Yes, I was heartbroken. But Jesus has mended this heart back together. Yes, I was abused. But I've been wrapped up safely in the arms of Jesus. Yes, I was rejected. 
but Jesus made me accepted. Yes, I was an orphan, but now been brought into the family of God as a son and a daughter through Jesus. Yes, I was a wretch undone, but Jesus made me righteous. Yes, I was lost, but Jesus left the 99 to come out to the one. Yes, I was broke. But the scripture says the blessings of the Lord make it one rich and add is no sorrow. Yes, I was all of that. But I'm not that anymore. You see my scars. But just because you're looking at my scars don't tell the whole story. You see my scars, but what you fail to realize, looking at my scars means you're also seeing my healing. I've had people say, Fred, I I know your past. How can you be a preacher now? I go, because you know my past. Man, I know how much you used to cuss. How are you going to be a preacher now? I'll still cuss you out. If you catch me at the wrong, I'm just kidding. Amen. Hallelujah. Because God doesn't need me to be perfect to preach his gospel. I'm willing. And the Lord says, I'll tag you it. Come on, somebody. If I'm unwilling to show my scars, you'll never understand my healing. Why did I preach this? I was pre- I wanted to land this series, and I wanted to tell you because here's what here's what happens a lot of times. Okay, here's evidence proven from fields like sex trafficking and stuff. There is when people are freed. There's victim guilt, essentially. And they are ashamed and they don't want anybody to know what I went through. And sometimes it's for a myriad of reasons. A lot of times that is for, it's just hard to talk about. It's hurtful. I can't bring it up. But a huge part of it is in society, we shun those things. Obviously, if you were trapped in that lifestyle, you did something to get there. In church, you know, these grown men that are like, don't wear that and don't wear this because it makes me struggle. What? Oh, y'all. No, I'm not going to go there. We went to a camp one time, and my wife, we were at the swimming pool like normal people. And Aaron had on a two-piece bathing suit, and I was greatly pleased. That's the Lord. Come on, that's her husband. But she wasn't trying to be provocative or nothing. We were just hanging out and having a good old time. We were at a church planters thing. 
And this man came up. Oh my God. You can get out of the pool. You're making these young men. Bruh. They have their own relationship with God. That's what we call victim shaming. This is why, no, I'm not going to say. A certain culture is popular in the church because we victim shame. And we don't like to hold grown men responsible for their own actions. And then people leave church heartbroken and broken because a man told you he was going to leave his wife and he, he was lying to get what. Okay, save it for the podcast. We got to stop doing this. And we, for a myriad of reasons, don't share our testimony. I think a lot of it is because we've been suppressed by the church. Don't tell your story. Because if you tell that story, somebody's going to look at you differently. Somebody who, in the church, they don't really care to get to know you anyway. What if there's a person who's on their last, I can't take this anymore. I'm done. And they hear your story of how God brought you out. I remember as a young man, when I first started preaching, I I told this story about trying to commit suicide when I was 17. Tried to take my own life. And I was telling them, telling them about it. And in this room, people, these grown people started getting up and crying. And I lived with so much shame in that moment because I thought, if anybody knows this, I'm a preacher's kid. What? But there was a moment for me to be free from hiding my own struggles. People get, Pastor, why you be talking about how you struggle with pornography and all this stuff? Because I did. Why would I not? There's young men in my church who need to hear that. And they need to see that God loves them in the middle of the struggle. And they need to hear that you are a man. This is part of natural, normal life. Come on, somebody. You're going to grow up and you're going to look at a female and you're going to think, oh, she is beautiful. My Lord, what's happening? That is natural and normal. And you are not odd. Amen. But God gives you the temperance to learn how to control that thing. That's what the gifts of the Spirit is. Self-control. Somebody say self-control. But God don't do that by beating you over your head. He says... Well, you're immature now, but you're going to mature. Amen. I didn't kick my child, my, my son Max, when he was learning how to walk. I didn't kick him across the room when he fell. I didn't go, oh my God, you falling. Get up. Can you imagine what you would think of me as a parent? But yet we tell God to do that to people. 
I wanted to end this series by landing this plane by telling you, stop being ashamed of your chains. Yes, you had chains and they are broken. Somebody say they're broken. You're no longer chained. You're no longer bound. Come on, somebody. But listen, sometimes you can show them chains and say, let me show you what my chains were. Come here, Thomas. Touch these scars. Touch the side, Thomas. I'm here, man. I'm really here. Despite my scars, I'm here. Despite my scars, I'm resurrected. Amen? And some of us need to recognize, despite your scars, despite what you've been through, despite it all, you are God's beloved, you are healed. You are whole. Yes, you were a label. Yes, you were an orphan. Yes, you were all these things. But now, you are healed. Somebody say, I'm healed. Somebody say, I'm healed. You stand with me? Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in.